0: Drenched in the blood of a freshly killed 100 goblins. As I kicked in the door to the throne room of the Goblin Keen, I seen him standing there, his jaws open, filled with the rotten flesh from last night's dinner. And that's when I raised my axe and. Oh, hello, friends. Come now, join us by
1: the fireside. What happened hm? to your voice? I
0: don't know. What happened to my
1: voice? What to your voice? She's got a weird accent all of a sudden. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I
0: know not what you speak of, Daniel.
1: (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah, come come sit down. Come sit down. Jake's being silly. Just come over here. There's a space over there. I've had seven energy drinks today, Dan. Oh, God.
0: (laughs) Yes, my name is Jake Harmon, and I would like to welcome you all to a Fireside Chat episode. And I am joined, as always... By my good friend, Mr. Dan West. Hello, everybody. And we are also joined by friend of Brute Force and Ignorance, a lovely individual, Mr. Jason Prevet.
2: Hello, how's everybody doing?
0: I'm doing quite well tonight. How are you guys doing? Tired. Doing great. I'm glad to hear that you guys are doing great and tired. Uh, but we're going to have to change that tiredness, Dan, thanks to our sponsor, GFUEL. Uh, use the code brute force and ignorance to get 20%
1: off. No, 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 no. Stop with this. <laughs> We're going to get in trouble. You know this. <laughs>
0: Eventually it'll come true. It's not coming true. To- <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, Dan, how, uh, how many ravens have flown
1: into this tavern? Well, seems it's been quite a while since we've done a fireside, and of course we have the illustrious Mr. Prevet with us, um, I thought we would... And to be honest, man, it's been a fucking long time since we've spoken, so uh, I figured that we would do two questions today, so we have two ravens, um, both sent in via the Fashe uh, books. And uh, yeah, let's just get into it, man. The first question is from A1, Mr. Mark Busking, and he says, is there a character build you've been dying to play, but you just haven't had the right group or campaign? And he also says, I'm really enjoying the game and the fireside chats. Thanks again, and keep up the good work. Mark, of course, from the Shenanigans and Mayhem podcast, so please check them out. We did put a link up on the Facebook page to check out their actual play. We love these guys. I think they're fucking hilarious, and Mark is, is a bloody fantastic DM, so I uh, hope you guys check that out.
2: He's a fantastic player also, so I get the privilege of DMing him on my house game, so... Oh, yeah. My...
1: <laughs> yeah, he is a good player, so I DM <laughs> for him for uh, Tremors of the Heart as well. We have had a good time on that one, and yeah, Mark is a fantastic player and DM. So there you go, Mark, there's a load of dick-sucking for you to enjoy at your leisure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I will take this question first. So, as far as D&D goes, uh, eventually I would like to take Jedka's cousin, who I've named Kedja, I'd like to take him to the stars as a spacefaring wizard in a spelljammer campaign. Probably like part swashbuckler, part wizard, just all insanity, flying around the DD cosmos, going to places and exploring strange and unusual worlds. Aside from that, I really love the OSR gaming scene, and there's a lot of characters I'd like to play in some other systems. Uh, I think it'd be really fun to play a Conan the Barbarian type character in something like Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, or a mischievous mouse thief like Knoth in the Mouse Ritter game system.
1: Yeah, he just said a bunch of words that I've never heard before.
0: I do what I can. Uh, Conan the Barbarian is a barbarian named Conan.
1: I know Conan. It was all the (laughs) other stuff.
0: Uh, Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea is a proper, like, swords and sorcery tabletop game. It's very much so, like, the weird, weird fantasy from the 1930s pulp fiction stuff. Oh, okay, gotcha. Which, that, those books... Uh, heavily influenced Gary Gygax when he was creating the original versions of Dungeons and Dragons, and those are just fun, pulpy adventures,
1: and I think it'd be really neat to play around in that world. Cool, and then Mouse Girl we've spoken about on numerous occasions as well, but what was the character's name, you said? Oh, nof So, nof
0: is a little thief, slash, look, well, maybe a little bit of a bard, uh, a cheeky little rogue, uh, from the Redwall series. Uh he appeared in the second book called Mouse uh Mossflower. But that was Mouse Ritter, not Mouse Guard. Mouse Ritter is a new not, it's not actually like a new system, but it's new to me. And it's more of a simplified version of old school DD, but with the, the Sword and Whiskers type characters, your your woodland adventurers. Whereas Mouse Guard is it's tabletop, but it's a very different die
1: system. And so why haven't you played any of these particular characters? I'm assuming it's because you have the DM's curse, which is you're always a DM and never a player. <laughs> <laughs> that,
0: is, uh, that is pretty accurate. Um, as well as not every, every DM wants to run a Spelljammer campaign. You need to really find the right group to do something like that. Uh, but I absolutely adore that setting. And even though it was written for two E, there's certainly been plenty of people who've adapted it into like every later edition of D D, including five E. But not everyone wants to play something where you're flying a you know, a galleon around the cosmos. Although I think it sounds a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, so it's what? It's like uh spaceships, but like actual ships flying through space, is that correct? Correct. And then you go different planets and stuff, is that right?
0: Yes, and there's... So one of the the big bads in the uh, Spelljammer setting are everyone's favorite mind flayers, the Illithids. Mm Mm-hmm. And their spaceships are terrifying. They are just these nasty, monstrous-looking things with horrible torture chambers
1: inside of them. Have you seen the beginning to the new Baldur's Gate game, the Baldur's Gate 3? I have not. Because I'm pretty sure... That you actually start the game on one of those ships. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, so you start the game. Oh, spoilers! Forget yeah, spoilers. Too late now. Fuck it. <laughs> you Start the game <laughs> off uh, as as like someone who's been captured by the Illithid, and you're on one of their ships, and it's fucking like crashing through the atmosphere onto onto what well, I'm going to assume Toril, on onto the you know the Faerun world. So. It's pretty dope. There's big fucking tentacles coming out of it and shit. They're idiots. Oh, yeah.
0: I'm going to have to look that trailer up to see it because. Um, it's amazing. I'm, that's odd. I'm really excited to watch it then because I've only seen the, you know, what, 1986 ish, I think is when Spelljammer came out. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm familiar with that era of artwork, but getting to see it come to life modern uh, would be pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, it's like a full you know, full cinematic at the beginning and then as you sort of go round and carry on the plot and stuff, then the ship is starting to crash down and into the atmosphere and you get to like step outside the ship like onto these walkways and stuff and you see all the scenery like flying past you all these like mountain ranges and oh it's crazy. It's fucking it's amazing what um you know, what PCs can do now and what games games
2: designers can do. It's nuts. Yeah, that trailer is amazing. And when's the game coming out? It should be this, sometime this year, isn't it?
1: Well, it's already. They've already released the first part, which was well months and months ago. It was kind oh, of what? like early, like early access. So it's like uh, the first act, and there's a limited amount of races and classes you can do. But they're going to be adding more as they, you know, finish the next. I'm assuming three or four acts. But and then but I think I'm going to wait until the whole game is finished and then I'll eventually buy it. But I'm going to guess it's going to be like five years.
2: Gotcha. So there's even rumors of a Spelljammer actually officially being released in 5e proper. I know there's a lot of homebrew stuff out there, but I've heard that at some point this year, something's supposed to be released.
0: That would be really exciting, uh, because I don't believe Spelljammer has been revisited at all since it was initially released. So to have some official publication would be that'd be really exciting. Um, and there with so many new people into the hobby now because of 5e, would uh, be a great way for them to explore some other previous worlds like Greyhawk or the world of Crin from Dragonlance.
1: So basically what you're saying is now you found that out, we know where the second arc of BFI is going to (laughs) go.
0: I cannot say what I have had planned for many, many months, Dan.
1: (laughs) It's all changed. Everything you've had planned for the last three years is now out the fucking window. (laughs) You're going to grab that spelljammer book.
0: No, it just makes it even easier if it's official. (laughs) Oh, interesting. You heard it here first. Many plans, many plans. Well,
1: um, that's the thing, man. You're not a basic bitch like me as far as characters go. So, um, the one... There's only one build that I really wanted to do, which was I actually did make, but then after the first session of this particular campaign, I I bailed because, as I said in the previous episode, everything got a little bit fucking weird. And um, I was like, (laughs) it's time for me to leave. And I won't be coming back. So, um yeah I wanted to build a one I wanted to play a dwarf really badly and I wanted to be a tempest cleric because I love the way that you get like all the lightning and storm powers and things like that I just think it's like a really cool fit for I don't know just for like a like a dwarf I just I don't know I just I just love the whole idea of it and that yeah you're like a healer and everything but then you can like bust out these amazing elemental powers. So more on the sort of combat side as opposed to... Well, I say that, but Bruin is kind of both. You know, it's kind of utility and combat right. and healing. So, yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, so I, I just... I think it was more that I wanted to play... I wanted to role play the character more than, you know, just all the amazing powers and stuff and all the amazing spells that they would get. And I just wanted to role play. His name was Locke. His name was Locke Tintreach, which is it's th- a good name. I'm pretty sure that luck is Irish, is is old Irish for lightning, and Tintreach is uh, Gaelic for storm. So, because when I like create names for characters, I always go back to Anglo-Saxon language or Celtic language because you know that's where I'm from, and I like to. And these are all like languages, especially Anglo-Saxon, that has basically died out but there's still references of it. And you can search modern words and find out what their equivalent would be. So that's how Bruin got his name. So Bruin, I mean, not the Sylvana's part, but Bruin in old English means bear. And um, it also incidentally means brown. So his favourite <laughs> sheep to go into is a brown bear. And I was like, well, that's fucking perfect, isn't it? So that's <laughs> Works where out the, great. Yeah, so that's where then Bruin come from. Yeah, a lot came from like lightning storm. So I've still got his sheep. So hopefully one day I can uh, I can play as him again. But that's the only thing I've ever really wanted to do because I've played wizards, I've played rogues, obviously druid, um, a, a monk, and a paladin. And I mean, the only class that I'm, I'm not that interested in is warlock. But I think it's just because I need to find the right campaign for that, really. Because I think a lot of the warlock stuff, although they you know, they could be really, really power, like really powerful if you know how to build them properly. Because I'm not really much of a min-max player. I would, I'm just more interested on how I could talk to the DM to sort of get the whole patron situation into the into the roleplay. I think that would be a really, that, that's what I would want. I would want, like, you know, a really close relationship with the with the patron that the warlock would uh, get their powers from. But yeah, locked in treats for me.
0: Fantastic answer, Dan. And a very interesting one.
1: It wasn't that
2: interesting. I found it pretty interesting. Enthralling. It's true. <laughs> Enthralling. <laughs> oh, I, I guess, would that make it my turn? Yes. Um, indeed, it is. So for myself. I've wanted to play for some time now a changeling that is a bard and an artificer who essentially is like uses magic uh, items to do stage explosions and illusions for performance reasons and kind of have a NPC in one of the games I'm running that is similar to a build I'd like to do. But uh, I really think that could be a fun build to play with in an actual campaign as a as a, play, as a character.
1: So seeing as we haven't had you on the show before or anything, are you more of a role-play player as opposed to like a you know a, a tactician or like a min-maxer?
2: I am very much a role-play type player. That's where, even with my campaigns that I run, they tend to be more role-play heavy as opposed to combat heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I have to remind myself that... Uh, I need to throw combat in every now and then at my players. But lucky enough right now to get an in person game going. Uh, We meet every other week. And right now they're solving uh, it's murder on the Eberron Express. Uh, (laughs) Nice. They're they're on a rail train, not going to have a stop for three days, and they've got to solve a murder. Oh, Um, shit.
1: That sounds like when I was on the fucking Amtrak going from from, uh, where the fuck was Chicago to San Francisco. Ugh, three days on a train. Nid
2: killed me. (laughs) Well, what's funny is they actually teleported on this train from uh, Faerun. They ended up in a portal. Long story short, so they're fish out of water. So, like, first off, all of the high-end type magical engineering that they're seeing around them, like, blows their mind. All of a sudden, they're also trying to solve this murder. So it's been fantastic. But uh, one of the non-player characters that they uh, actually we introduced to this week was that changeling build and some of the entertainment on the train. So it's a it's, it's a fun play and uh, it's been great with uh, the role play aspect and all of these guys are brand new to D and D and they've just they just absolutely loved it. They're they're interrogating passengers on the train and things like that and, and they're having a blast with it and uh, that's what makes this game different. If I if I just want to battle things, I can do that on video games but being with a group of people and that community storytelling that's that's what I love about this.
1: Yeah, definitely dude. I, I really miss face-to-face just playing or running the game. It's uh it's so different and it is. Some people prefer online, I'm sure they do, but for me it's it's all about those face-to-face games, getting around the table, getting a few drinks, getting a bit of food in and just like just go in for it and it, it, I think that, I mean me personally, I feel more comfortable when I'm at a table than I do behind a, like, like this, behind a computer screen. It just seems more freeing and you know, you just have like banter going between different people and people like act in character and they like yell over each other, but not in like a rude way, but you know, like in a kind of banter way and it's just like the conversation flows so much easier, it's just fucking magical.
2: Oh, it's fantastic. It's some of the, the best time you can have with a group of uh, friends.
1: Except for, you know, the, an orgy, which would be the best. Um, <laughs> what do you think, Holmes?
2: <laughs> depends, on, depends on who your friends are. <laughs> well. well. What do I
0: think about what, Dan? About orgies or about well, Jason's what, character? Well, all of it. <laughs> Uh, I do want to say that the changeling idea is a lot of fun. And I think that could be a great character to play, especially like if you were starting off in a big city and maybe you were part of like a theater troupe or something like that. I think that could be a really neat, like way to introduce the character or get to know it. I think, I think that's a solid idea, Jason.
2: Well, thank you. So as I was building it this afternoon, thinking about it, putting it together and kind of like, you know, how am I going to present it? I was here thinking, you know what? This kind of reminds me of the old eighties cartoon Jim. That's that's a good point. <laughs> so I don't I don't know if you had that across the pond, uh Dan, uh Jim. She's uh, truly outrageous. <laughs> truly, truly outrageous. I know of uh, it,
1: but I never personally watched it.
2: Yeah, it was uh Hannah Montana before Hannah Montana. It was yeah. uh wasn't
1: animated as well.
2: It was, yeah. It was actually in the same universe as Transformers and GI Joe and all of that over here. So it was really cool that they were all connected. There yeah. was a
0: fantastic live action movie from a couple of years ago too.
2: <laughs> or oh, no, there wasn't.
0: <laughs> I will say, as far as like in person gaming goes, that it is so hard to be a good in person session. The memories I made being a like super broke nineteen year old hanging out at my buddy's mom's house playing D&D until like two o'clock in the morning, pizza boxes all over the place. Oh, it was, and the the antics that we got into, just so much fun. And online gaming certainly has its place, but it is, the the experience that you get playing in person is just unparalleled, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And I was going to say as well, I think obviously, as you now know, that uh, Jason is, is a DM as well. Was it you got two or was it three games going at the moment?
2: I'm DMing two games and then uh, I'm playing in one. So
1: okay, cool. But yeah, um, what I was gonna say was a lot. It seems to be that a lot of DMs, because we know the rules inside and out, and we know not not all of us, some of us, um, but because we know the rules and we know combat so well, and we know all the player classes and things like that, I think a lot of DMs actually focus on how can I build this like How can I build this character? How interesting can I make this situation for me to play, like a roleplay side of it, and then the mechanics and you know the power level and stuff, or like you know synergy between race and class and whatever, that kind of takes a backseat because we run all the monsters and everything else. So when you have a player character, you just think, well, how can I make this the most interesting experience for me? Because I've done all this other stuff like a million times before, so. And I love rolling dice, I really do. And I love taking the reins behind a dragon or something like that, which is all well and good, but having like a really unique player character to start playing and role-playing, I think is where like a lot of DMs get, uh, get the most fun out of.
2: Oh, I, I totally agree with that. As a DM, you get to use crazy things all the time as far as combat options and legendary actions or layer options and stuff like that. But just... To... To be able to have one character focus totally on being that one character is uh, so rewarding when you get a chance to do that, that it just adds to the fun that you're going to have. Yeah, and it's a massive
1: break as well. It's, uh, you know, the whole, like, just running everything is, uh, I I love being a DM, but it's quite taxing at times. So being able to just play one character and, like you said, solely focus on that one person, it's like, oh, I could just sit back and relax now and (laughs) take my shoes off, put my feet up, and if someone else wants to talk for fucking 15 minutes, just let them do it, and you can just sit there and listen and just get like sucked into the story. It's awesome.
2: Exactly. And I did have a non-D&D build that I wanted to try out, like uh, Mr. Harms. G.I. Joe actually released a new... Uh, Role playing game this year. I haven't had a chance to pick it up, but that is definitely something I'm interested in taking a look at and uh, trying a campaign in a modern military, or actually, I'll say, I won't even say modern, sci fi military type setting, because that was like my bread and butter in childhood. That's where I uh, was toy wise, cartoons, comic books, was all about Jeja to uh, actually see a proper G.I. Joe role-playing game come out. Got to find a group of guys to uh, play it with, but that's something uh, I'm looking forward to. That sounds
0: like a fantastic game. I had played, this is over a decade ago now, I played in a modern D20 game, and I played a, like, Mexican gunslinger. I was part of a, a group that, we weren't really quite assassins, uh, Think kind of like international spy type deal. Man, it was it was such a fun fun game but i when you set that into the gi joe world and add in some of the sci-fi elements i can see that being such a blast
2: yeah uh yeah definitely looking forward to checking that one out and seeing how that one goes so well i think we all had great character
0: ideas and concepts and uh, it was some really good discussion talking about that with you guys
1: except me because i'm basic bitch so you know whatever you guys had great ideas stuff i've never heard of before and then it's me oh yeah tempest cleric uh, but yeah dwarven tapas cleric
0: and we love you and your pumpkin spice coffee and your ugg boots as well
2: oh thank you you're welcome (laughs) exactly i mean it's like basic cable we we have to have it i mean you know
1: so So, so i'm just here i'm always here
2: (laughs) and with
0: that What is our second question for the evening, Mr. West?
1: Well, thank you, Mark, for that question, seeing as uh, Holmes forgot to thank you for that. Um, The second question is also from (laughs) the Fashe books, and this is from the other part of Shenanigans and Mayhem. I don't know if he's the Shenanigans or the Mayhem. I'm going to say he's the Mayhem. It's, uh, It's our good buddy, Lenny Aiello, and he says, if you were to build a character for a battle royale at level 10, what character would you build and why? And and there is a second part to this question as well, but I'll, we'll do that in a bit. Okay.
0: So, uh, who wants to go first on
1: this one? I can do it because I'm a basic bitch. So... All right. all right. How about you go first then, Dan? <laughs> Thanks. It wasn't because I misread the question and didn't realize I had to build a character for this particular question, but my answer would have been the same anyway, which is I would build a level 10 druid because, one, I know how to play them. Uh pretty damn well and as in combat wise I'm not saying I'm a great role player I'm not saying that I'm saying I understand how the druid works really well it'll be a circle of the moon druid so shit ton of spells shit ton of healing at level eight druids can uh, shape change to flying creatures and I don't know if people realize how overpowered flying is especially if uh, you're against other players but it's ridiculous because if anyone is you know melee focused or melee only then they can't hit you so um staying out of combat casting a bunch of spells and also healing yourself and the circle of uh, circle of the moon druid can actually spend a bonus action to use it's uh it's hit dice so i don't know if harms even knows this actually so cuz i've never used it on the show but circle of moon druids can use a bonus action to use their hit dice to heal on the go without spending any spell slots
0: which is a very powerful tool to have in your back pocket
1: yeah it's basically if it was a level 10 druid what we oh, let's see we're level five we're all around 50 hit points so what about 100 hit points so you and give or take exactly and with b-shapes on top of that those are all separate health pools so yeah, let's say like you change it to a giant eagle, only twenty six hit points, but has a fly speed of eighty feet. So that's two and a third more two and a third two and a two thirds more than what normal people can move around, you know, just with their movement. So you're literally like <laughs> like doing flybys on people and like pecking their eyes out and then just buggering <laughs> off and getting out of range. Yes. Opportunity attacks, sure, whatever. But you've got 26 free hit points, and then when they all disappear, you revert back to your normal druid form, and then boom, you've got a second, um, a second use of it anyway. So then, so you've got your 100 hit points, and then if you do want to do a flying creature, you've got an additional 52 hit points on top of that, as well as all of your cure wounds, healing word spells, and on top of that, as a circle of the moon druid, you also have spending your hit dice to heal yourself. So, how are you going to kill the motherfucker? So that's what I would build.
0: That is a very solid option, Dan. Once you start getting into the higher level play, or even like the mid level play around ten or so, the the magic using classes just get bonkers, and uh, the druid is no exception to that. It's
1: a delicious, beautiful boy.
0: <laughs> Both Bruin and Dan. Well,
1: yeah. Yeah, we should do a we should do a face to face game someone sometime, then we can fuck afterwards.
0: Sounds like a plan to me. <laughs> All right,
2: then. Uh, Jason, would you like to go next? Sure thing. Um, so I would probably bring to Battle Royale a Warforged Artificial. In my mind, I'm kind of thinking of essentially a robot that kill himself. But not only that, just the sheer number of magical items that they can use as they get to level 10. And the fact that they have um, abilities like you have the second level spell of, I mean, actually third level spell of um, Conjure Barrage, which I don't know if you've seen that spell before, but it's you throw a non-magical weapon or fire a piece of non-magical ammunition to the air. And it creates a cone of identical weapons that shoot forward and then disappear. Each creature in a 60 foot cone must do a deck save and it's a 3d8 so, um, you know, just the fact that you have that as one of your options there, along with the fact that you can conjure or you can invent little magical minions that could actually go out and attack. It gives you the chance to just have multiple attacks on each turn, along with a number of uh, healing abilities also. When you, you know, you can cast Heroism on yourself, you have the R of Vitality. So just a, a number of different tools there to not only have a f- solid attack, but uh, also um, some resources to uh, keep yourself alive.
1: So the the forge is in is a race in Eberron, is that correct?
2: That is correct.
1: And then um, Artificer is from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, right?
2: It's also in Eberron. Okay,
1: so. Or... For the listeners out there, these are different books. They're not from the, you know, the main player's handbook, or they're sort of the more later books. So what Jason's done is he's bitched out, and he's gone for the (laughs) pay-to-win option, which is the (laughs) latest books that cost the most so people could feel really special playing their robots
2: with all of them, (laughs) with all of their magic. (laughs) See, See, Dan, you're holding basic cable. I added HBO and Showtime. (laughs) Oh, beautiful.
1: (laughs) Oh, dude, that was fucking great. (laughs) Oh, man.
0: Yeah, what isn't. isn't That is a great character concept, though.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Isn't Conjure Barrage like a later level ranger spell as well? Is that right?
0: I don't know, actually. I'm pretty
1: sure. Yeah, I do. I remember David Feynman telling us about that in our very, very Mm -hmm. early shows where we were doing covering. D&D like 101 for like, absolute beginners and because right. because Dave was such he's just he's he, Dave is like I am with druids. Dave is on point with rangers and he was like oh yeah we got this spell and this spell and like that when you said Conjure barrage I was like i swear to
2: god Dave said about that and yeah there it is
1: that's there brutal is.
2: oh yeah I mean I mean just just especially like in a battle royale setting I mean <clears> the <throat> fact that you could do 3d8 to multiple Opponents in the same arena. Yeah, um, and and um, if
1: if someone wanted to get a bit clever, Warforged don't breathe either, do they? No. Yes. So that's another major advantage. <laughs> exactly. Aren't they like immune to stuff like poison and disease as well? I don't really know. Uh,
2: yeah, poison. They, they have, their defenses are poison and disease. They don't know an age limit for them um, at this point, though. So I think canonically in the book, none of them are older than 30 years, I think. They're really cool. I, I really like the sorcery and sci-fi. That's why I got into the Eberron book. The kind of, the way I equate it is almost like a He-Man feel, where yeah. you have, you know, kind of the barbarian and, and the science kind of mixed together. And uh, that was uh, really what drew me to Eberron. You know, I've really enjoyed digging into that world, but the War just uh, really kind of caught my eye and uh, I thought they were like really cool concepts. Uh, almost like almost kind of reminds me of data from uh, The Next Generation, but in a, a medieval setting. Really cool that, you know, hey, here's this artificial thing, but kind of has a soul. I think there's a lot of cool role-playing concepts there also. The other thing I toyed with instead of going Artificer was toyed with a Warforged Paladin. And and thinking about a warforge who had a religion, and I'm like, you know, you could have a lot of fun with that.
1: That's crazy.
0: Oh man, what's the? <laughs> That's so what's cool. the planet of the machines? Is it Mechanus?
1: It's a plane, yeah. Mechanus is a plane. Yeah.
0: Who's the yeah. god
2: on Mechanus? I don't remember.
1: Pri- primus. Primus. Not, prim- not is it? Is is? Oh fuck! Now you put me on Wha- the spot.
2: Wow. My nod is big brown beef. Uh, yes,
1: exactly. Hold on. I'm <laughs> da- it's so damn close. I know I'm close. Yeah,
0: Primus is considered a greater deity of Mechanus.
1: Okay, yeah. That would be cool, <laughs> but he would I mean, you could play him like he had OCD because, you know, Mechanus and everything to do with it is uh is lawful. It's like it's the absolute epitome of law uh as opposed to the absolute epitome of chaos. So, he could have like serious OCD. He could be he could be trying to you know, wherever he goes, he could be, like, you know, if he's, like, interviewing, you know, he goes there, like, questioning the mayor or something, and then your, your paladin just kind of, like, leans his hand forward and just shh, just... Twist the guy's paper stack so it's exactly correct, and then just nudges a pen, and he just can't help himself. Because <laughs> um, because there's a, I know we like we're going off on tangents, but to be honest with you, we haven't spoken in ages, and we get to talk about D and D for a while. So, this you know, bear with us. We will answer all the questions. But um, yeah, because uh, it's like the epitome of law and order, and there's is there's the march of the machines that happens every several hundred years and Mechanus sends, I think it's about 10,000 Modrons, which are like these little robots which have like one goal and they just like march through all of like Toril and they just literally like take down notes. So (laughs) it's something I've always thought was really funny because in my head it's like it just kind of happens, and it's like this background thing that happens alongside the campaign, so, you know, your party will be, like, fighting a lich or some shit, and then this, this little ro- this little robot will just, like, rock up, and just be sat on the side, just going, just taking down these little notes, and they're like, oh, that guy died, okay. <laughs> it's such weird, because they look really goofy, like, in the Monster Manual they look so goofy, but when you actually read about the law and their their mechanisms and their purpose, it they're really cool. They're really really cool. So, yeah, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see a, a OCD um, Warforged Paladin of Primus.
0: <laughs> I could uh, I could actually see working the monodrones into the character as well, where like maybe part of his armor. Like is a is actually like half monodrone or something, and it like monitors what the paladin is doing and reports that back to Primus.
1: Oh, we well, see they don't so need that's, to. That's, but that's how DD knows how he's like <laughs> behaving. So I, I mean, I just I don't I've actually I've read a lot into this. Once whatever the you know the mechanical being's purpose is, whatever it's, whenever it's served it always goes back to Mechanus, and then they, like, report, they download all of the, re- the programming and all of its memory, and then they basically get, like, a new objective, and then they send them back out again. And a lot of the time, I'm pretty sure it's all the time, actually, unless, you know, you wanted to play it like it wasn't, their personality gets wiped, so they go out again as something completely fresh, with no memory <laughs> of anything they've done before.
0: So... <laughs> I am at, like let's say like every five sessions this mono drone just shows up and each time it's a different personality and it follows the paladin around for that session and then goes back to Primus <laughs> 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 and like each time it's just totally different but he has the same name yeah <laughs> I, I could see that being just a fun goofy oh, side yeah. effect of a paladin of Primus
1: that's cool man because they they take on um because they they see all information as Essentially the truth, but like all experiences that they have, they take them all on board. So say if they literally like arrived on the planet and the first person they spoke to was a dwarf and they asked where this paladin was and the dwarf lied and sent them in a completely wrong direction. From that point on, they would basically assume that all dwarves were liars. <laughs> they would never trust the dwarf again. Because their their programming doesn't allow them to have any kind of nuance or anything. And it's only when they've been in the material plane for a long time that they do develop like way more nuanced personalities. But right at the beginning, they are just like, they're, they're binary. They're like, they're yes or no, they're ones and zeros. It's really fun. Zeros.
2: That's funny. Yeah, that can be a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Yeah, the, great concept, uh, Jason.
1: Yeah, awesome, man. Thank you. This is, and now, what did Mr. Harmon come up with?
0: So, full disclosure, I had a rough idea for what I wanted to do, and when I was looking into it online, I found someone who had expanded upon my rough idea, and I am using that person's concept, uh, because they had... I had a rough idea with, like, certain feats I would go for, mm-hmm. and this person actually threw in a multi-class idea that made it even better. Would um, you like to give so
1: that person credit or not?
0: I would. They are user Neruviel. We'll go with Neruviel.
1: So, like, half Naruto, half Lord of the Rings?
0: Yes. Neruviel. <laughs> <laughs> with her Shingen eyes, she will <laughs> destroy Lord Sauron. <laughs> Believe it! Um... <laughs> So, on Reddit, uh, user Neruviel, my plan was to go for a ranger, and what she had done was taking five levels of a Gloomstalker ranger, which gives you Hunter's Mark, an extra attack, and the Dread Ambusher skill. Pay pay
1: to win, pay to win. Yeah, I get it. Pay to win. I get it. Blah, blah, blah. Uh,
0: Two (laughs) levels of Fighter, and three levels of the Assassin subclass of the Rogue. Also taking a Sharpshooter feat, The first round of attack is beautiful, and that's really where this character comes into play, is taking out a powerful enemy in the Battle Royale first. So, cast Hunter's Mark, and then you get three attacks. So you have your regular attack, your extra attack, and another one from Dread Ambusher, which makes each individual attack 1d8 for your bow, plus 1d6 for your Hunter's Mark, plus your dex, plus 10 for the Sharpshooter feat. Yeah, if you you fucking hit... If you hit, but you also get bonus to... uh, I think you get two, actually, separate bonuses to your initiative because of one from the ranger and one from the assassin. Okay. Now, (laughs) that is a potential. So you do that. You have three attacks. Each one is that. And because of the two levels of fighter, you get an action surge. (laughs) So you do that again for a total of 8d8 plus 8d6 plus your dex plus 60 sharpshooter
1: okay again if you hit and if anyone doesn't know what sharpshooter is you have to take a minus five on your roll mm-hmm. to get that extra damage
0: now if you attack before the enemy which is where this whole like method really comes into play
1: oh you fucking assassinating it assassinating it
0: <laughs> is <that what> you're <laughs> which doing? means you get advantage and with the assassinate feature uh if you hit Regardless of what you roll, if it hits, it's an automatical crit.
1: Yeah, auto crit. Yep.
0: (laughs) Dang. (laughs) So, depending on how that first round goes... And actually, at level 10, you should have gotten two feats. So... Mm, i would probably have taken alert to get that extra plus five to initiative as well oh
1: yeah i know a character that has that
0: mm. <laughs> and then even after the first round you still get your two attacks plus your hunter's mark plus your sneak attack uh so it really depends it really depends on the battle royale setup What I was imagining was a, like, Colosseum-type deal, but there would be stuff around the Colosseum where players could change their elevation or take cover. Sharpshooter ignores up to three-quarters cover, so depending on where the player's hiding, it's not relevant. And if you want to get real fun, if the player is using an Oath Bow, (laughs) it would equal an extra 18d6 damage. But that's a lot. That's a lot. (laughs) Because I love the way OFO. You... <laughs> if you declare it as your sworn enemy, uh, it's an extra 3d6 piercing damage.
1: Yeah. So, it's, and is that like once a day? Is that right? When you. Uh, no, I believe it's like a
0: free action to choose another sworn enemy. Oh, okay. The sworn enemy status lasts until you kill them or for seven days, like till dawn of the seventh day. Uh, um, and while you have a sworn enemy. You have disadvantage using any other weapon. And I think you have, there's another disadvantage too. Um, It might be if you're attacking like a different creature. No, that wasn't it. I forget. But I know you have disadvantage if you use a different weapon.
1: Yeah. And then what will happen is the druid swoops down, casts dominate person on you, stuns you, changes into a giant toad and literally eats you in one hit.
0: Oh, not if I get to go first. (laughs) And I get to to, uh, knock that druid down before he even gets a chance to turn into any kind of creature.
1: But yeah, we did bring up a really good point, man. I mean, I know... uh, Because I actually asked Lenny to specify a level because it does depend on what level it is. Like, different classes have different power spikes and stuff like that. But the environment is so important because, I mean, if it was like, by the water or on water, you know, then you're going to want, like, a um, Fathom Warlock. So, like, at level 1, they get a 40-foot movement speed underwater or in water, and they can breathe underwater. Their powers are increased if they're in water and stuff like that. So, like, if it was a forest, a ranger's favourite terrain could be the forest, and then they would get a set of bonuses on that. Uh, you know, your Janassi your, your or your... um. Your tieflings, you know, get different resistances, different elements and things like that. So, you know, the actual, like you said, the Colosseum, the gladiatorial combat arena is actually very important in in a battle royale. But I was thinking the same sort of thing as you, which was sand pit, big like walled ring around with like some columns or like broken columns where people can maybe some maybe some sort of little structures and stuff that people can go in and hide you know you've got your rogues and stuff that need to get out of sight to to go and hide uh, but yeah that's i just thought i'd bring that up like you said it's, it's very important what the environment is it really does
0: change how you would build a character and i would say that that actually plays a big role in the second part of lenny's question.
1: Yes, which is so. Hope you like that, Lenny. Like that's that's what we were built and why. And uh, for the second part of the question, it is who do I love this? I can't believe you said it, but we're going to go into it. Who do you think would win if the brute force gang battled each other? I'll go last on this. Because, and what I would really, you know what, I'm going to go easy on Jason. I would like Harms to answer this question first, seeing as he's our DM. Then I would like Jason to go, because Jason is a long-time listener and, you know, big friend of the show and everything. And then I'll go last. But yeah, so who do you think uh, the Brute Force gang would win a Battle Royale?
0: So if we are looking at our characters as they are now, level 5 with all of their gear and all of their abilities... There's multiple answers and it's going to depend on the environment.
1: Mm-hmm. If
0: if they are in a arena where they're, where they can interact with the environment, I would probably I would give Jai a strong strong chance. I would give Frank a strong chance uh, because Frank could destroy some stuff around and knock I mean a section of, you know, the column down or a section of seating down fall down upon another player. Jai also. If we're assuming everyone has everything, Jai does have Drake. Drake yep. can do some pretty pretty useful things. Um, and if Jai can freeze people, or not necessarily freeze them solid, but with his cold breath, that can that can turn the tide of battle. Uh, he can also lay hands on himself, uh,
1: which he does on the regular, all the time. Butum ch. <laughs> <laughs> you, Jai. It- oh no, you're not on this episode. You won't be fucking listening. You can't. <laughs>
0: And as as we have learned, he is a expert at throwing his sword as a frisbee type weapon or a boomerang type weapon.
1: He throws that sword a lot. He really does. He's done that several times. A sword
0: that is blessed
1: by Bahamut. I know, but I just think I just think it's funny that he's just like, yeah, I yeet my sword at the enemy. (laughs) Like, why don't you just run up to them and fucking hit them, dude? You can hold on to it then. Nope, and nope, if, I'm throwing if it. You were,
0: if the terrain was, like, smooth, oh, man, you couldn't catch him on his razor of scootering. Oh,
1: fuck you. <laughs> now, if you just were- spell magic. Just,
0: <laughs> there's no magic, it's just engineering, Dan. Oh,
1: okay.
0: Now, if we were fighting, like, just in an open air, you know, in a field- probably give the edge to Bruin. Because huh? Bruin being able to take the shape of the the brown bear. That's a big one. Extra hit points, lots of damage. He could also fly around as a raven and shoot fireballs at the party. Or Yay. shoot ice. Like Spoilers
1: <laughs> Have you done that yet? I don't think i have breathed fire on nobody no one yet.
0: <laughs> oh you totally have bro well, you, you shot fire at the uh, the monster and the booty.
1: No, 100%. I didn't. No, no, I didn't. I'm
0: pretty sure. You... Oh, I'm almost uh, positive. Oh, Jamie? Can you can you pull up the footage, please? <laughs> Fucking Jamie! <laughs> I told no. You totally flew up because uh, it was a hook horror, and it was, you were yeah. coming down, and you breathed fire on it. Oh, and then turns guess... into Bruin and yes, you
1: know, I like did. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I came down with the sword. That's right. Yeah, I mm-hmm. breathed fire first, and then I came down with the sword. It's right. the other thing that we spoke about that I haven't done yet. Yeah, Karen, Karen, Karen. With your pussy answer about mm, different environments, I'll choose everyone in the party.
0: I, mm, I don't think Shay stands a chance, regardless. Uh, as much as we Aww. love Eric, I don't think Shay. Could mitigate enough damage to keep herself in the fight. Nor could she dish out as much damage as some of the rest of the party.
1: Yeah, it's all those early level cleric spells. A lot. I mean, it depends how you build them. But at,
0: right at level five, though, cleric is still, I think, behind in the offensive capability.
1: But yeah, that's what I was going to say, man. Yeah. Like you, you get you get a lot of healing stuff and a lot of buffing spells. But aside from like, you know, um, guiding bowl and spiritual weapon, and, you know, a couple of other things, a couple of slightly more higher-level stuff. But also, you know, depends what domain you picked as well. And I'm assuming... I can only assume because I don't know people's character sheets. I'm assuming Shay is a cleric of life?
0: I don't remember. Okay, well... I have not looked at Shay's character sheet since uh, Eric made it. Okay.
1: (laughs) 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 So, yeah, um, I'm assuming that's what she is, or something similar. But she's definitely not Tempest or you know, war a Cleric of War.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. So
2: Yeah But but then again, sometimes defense wins games and stay alive long enough when everybody else knock them at, themselves out. I mean, there is something to be said for that.
0: Although pretty much everyone has a self heal ability.
2: Well, that's true.
0: That's that's where it throws a wrench into that. And as far as Aurelius goes, uni can be pretty useful if he's fighting with uni. And the the Bow of the Heartless does have that advantage on landing critical hits, but overall I just don't think that the damage output is as high as everyone else. Uh, Similar situation as with Shay, nor is there a lot of damage mitigation there.
1: Yeah, I don't think we actually know what the Bow of the Heartless does. It's never been shared on the show. It's just kind of been alluded to. So it's alluded like, to. Yeah, okay. like Kirby would ask you a question, and then you would, he would like go, "Does it do that thing?" And you'd be like, "Yes, it does do that thing." Yep. <laughs> and And uh,
0: there's some plans for that bow too. Once uh, some things are revealed. <laughs>
1: Ooh. So what you're saying is it completely depends on the environment, and either Jai, gi- sorry, either Zorn Flint. Or Bruin would win.
0: Yes, especially uh, Bruin would win if there is more mobility, especially if there's any place for Bruin to uh, for Bruin to fly around. That makes a big difference. If there's not room to fly around, and you're not in an out like open area, I think it would come down more to Flint or to jo- or to uh, Zorn.
1: Okay, so basically what you're saying is, if I'm in a, if Bruin is in a room. That has a twenty-foot ceiling, then Bruin's going to lose.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> because if it's twenty-five, they can't hit him.
0: <laughs> if it's twenty foot, mm-hmm, then it gets a little rough.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool.
0: And that's cool. and that's also assuming, like I said, everyone's got all their magical gear, so the Blessed Sword of Bahamut and the you know the Gauntlets of Clobbering with that. Uh, energy attack that deals radiant damage when it lands it's pretty cool uh it's just a matter of it actually landing and that's, frank also and has that fancy new dagger the Therosian throwing dagger
1: yeah Therosian
0: quick draw dagger
1: and the clock gauntlet's of once a day yes
0: it was a uh, once a day regaining the charge at dawn for the energy blast
1: yeah okay cool lovely so didn't make up your mind as I said, it
0: depends on the environment. I think that really does play a role.
1: Well, I hope you're happy with that answer, Lenny. There wasn't actually an answer. Oh god. A sixty percent of a hundred percent answer. They'll win. Just depends. Don't hit me. Oh dear. No thanks man. Yeah, no, you brought up a lot of good points and I agree with everything you said.
2: Well, why thank you. Jason. Right. So so I have a clarifying question. Are we looking at strictly the characters or are we looking at who's playing the characters? Ooh,
0: that is a good point.
1: Well, I think you I think that you know the characters are tied to the people playing them, I would say. Okay. okay. Because then in that case, that's why Flint would never win because Frank's roles are so terrible. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> no. Don't care if Flint managed to get everyone like in a row for his radiant beam, Frank would miss every time. <laughs> I don't think
0: he's la- or he's landed like once successfully with that.
1: I don't think he's ever landed a hit with that. <laughs> I think it's always missed. It's
0: always missed.
1: But I mean, you know, it, it, but I know it's in him because you know when he played Tom Bone he does roll very well, so I don't know what it is. I just I think Flint's just fucking him. It's weird.
2: So, so the part two of that clarification then are the rolls visible on roll twenty? <laughs> <laughs> mandatory, mandatory. Oh. Yes. Then, um, if Tybert with his mech armor is not on the table. <laughs> Then I would probably have to go with Ruin just for the ex- just for the expertise that comes with knowing how to play all the aspects of your character very very well. Uh, and, and, and the crowd goes wild. <sighs> because, Sorry. <laughs> uh, because whereas there's a lot of strength in the other characters. I think some of the creativeness that might would come into play with Bruin would probably edge him out. And I, I agree that, you know, Zorn and Flint would probably be the power hitters that would be the biggest run for the money. But uh, based on what, I, what I've what i heard of Rolls, uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I think I would have to, if I was a betting person, I would have to put it on Bruin but if we're talking about anybody in BFI oh, day, 20. they're all RMN M. but but if i had to pick any character in BFI i'm going to Tiber <laughs> so in his
1: macama ha-
2: have yep. i ever said what what class tiber is
1: I mean, um i don't think so we just knew that he was some kind of like an astronomer
0: so before that like he was a, a knight for the kingdom of the the Waldath. Yeah. Uh, so I just want you to imagine Tiber with ferocity, divine smiting with his mech armor.
2: Oh. <sighs> yeah, yeah, because because his his backstory is so great, and you know he was a noble warrior. So I'm sitting there thinking the the, the kid's got heart, you know, and I'm gonna go with heart. And uh, man, yeah. a fucking paladin
1: smite coming out of a <laughs> mech suit, <laughs> <Jesus. That'd be> <laughs> amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like anime levels of you know, like it would be the like the the sh- like the streaks of um you know like the shh as the fist comes down in slow motion, and then a pause as it hits, and then you just see that spark go shh, and then and then it goes, boo boo, and then the shock wave comes out. Yes, that's awesome. And it Love would be it.
2: beautiful, fantastic.
1: <laughs> well, if we don't see that in the last fight, I'm going to be pissed off.
2: <coughs>
1: <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and Anything else to add to that, Jason? Or?
2: No, I think that's good. What about you, Dan? I agree with you. Okay. <laughs> I, t- Tiber it is. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: No, um, Funnily enough, um, I, I think that it's funny that you guys focus on um, like Flint and... Zorn, because, you know, yes they are, they're, they're the meatheads, they're the strong guys and everything, but I honestly think that Aurelius would give Bruin the biggest trouble, because he's the only guy that can shoot an arrow <laughs> that's
0: true, because realistically Frank at best or Flint at best has three ranged attacks, that is it, yeah, that's and, I mean, Zorn, if you count him just throwing his sword again has, I think, three so, Mm. Not great,
1: yeah, but he'd have to go and get it every time.
0: It's true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm completely biased, but yeah, I think that I think the Bruin would would. Sorry, Eric. I think Bruin would make short work of Shay. She could stay in the corner and heal herself and all the rest of it, and he'd just come and kill her later on, or someone else would. But with Zorn and Flint, and I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna say Bruin. I'm gonna say I because I'll be the guy playing Bruin. I would literally Ravenform... form. Stay out of range, which would be mitigate basically everything that they could do, except for, well, I say except for, even Zorn's ice breath is only 30 feet. Right. And that's not very far. That's six squares. So I'll just fly out the way, and then they can all fight amongst themselves if they wanted to. Uh, Bruin has flame breath, ice breath, which is the same as Zorn's. It's 2d6, I seem to remember. Um, Correct. Yep, and then, but also whilst that is going on, it would be Cool Lightning, and the only person that would be able to actually take uh, Bruin's concentration away from the spell would be Aurelius, which I know he punches, when I say punches hard, I mean his arrows punch really hard. Was it D8 for the bow, whatever bonuses the bow of the Heartless has as well, and his decks on top? So if Bruin could make the saves to keep Cool Lightning going, then that's cool, It's, it's uh, I think it's 2d10 every round, just on a, any target he wants, as long as he just keeps concentration on the spell. Yeah, so it's two third level spells, and probably wouldn't be using anything other than than Cool Lightning, so even if the concentration does get knocked out, he can then cast it again, and uh, then Aurelius would have to try and hit him again, and he would have to fail his saving throw so he wouldn't be able to cool down a bolt of fucking lightning every single round (laughs) as well as uh, any of his other attacks that he wants to do and but honestly aside from that's the weird thing about druids if you get close to them if it was you know like they were their original form you get close to them they change into some very hardy very scary animal which are normally quite easy to hit Well, they've got a shitload of hit points, and they normally hit pretty hard, like the brown bear, you know, or or, tigers, you know, things like that, wolves. But as a player, I would literally just stay away and just shoot people from a distance with spells until they were all dead. Yeah, Aurelius would be the only one that I would consider that would be able to at least wear Bruin down. But like I said right at the beginning, he has... Four of, it's four or five first level spells, so that's Healing Word, Cure Wounds, and then he has at least three second level spells, which is also Healing Word, Cure Wounds, but up to level, so even more healing. And Circle of the Moon means he can heal himself in a bonus action with his hit points, of which he has 5d8, so that's each of those is a Cure Wounds by itself. As well as the, as the temporary, not even temporary, the completely standalone hit points from his his beast forms. His beast shapes. So I, honestly, I think it would be a case of using magic and outlasting everybody by healing the crap out of himself. But I really think the Bruin would win. So that's just me. And I know that Harms was like... Oh, but what if he's trapped in a closet with everybody? I know he was like, you know, Bruin's not in the closet. He's well out of the closet. Um, but, you know, if he was in a small room with everyone, I still put money on him because I think that he would just decimate the room with spells and then just heat himself up.
2: So who would you attack first?
1: Um, Honestly, Jai. And I'm not going to say Zorn. I'm going to say Jai. I would attack <laughs> Jai because... <laughs> no i would i think hmm that's a good question man i would probably i
2: think i would i would pick out uni first i know it
1: yeah no i would if uni was on the battlefield definitely be uni first um but yeah uh, but then you
0: would like sylvanas would be mad at you
1: um, but no, I, I honestly don't know. It would either be Aurelius or, or Zorn. I think because, but like you said, um, with the whole Tybert thing. Because if Zorn does get close, he can li- he can wipe out a character in one hit if he wants to, mm-hmm. because he would literally just put like a third level spell into smite, and he can decide that after he knows whether or not he's hit. Which I think a third level smite is like 3d8 or might even be more. It's shit loads. So he's he's very tough and he deals loads of damage. So that's one of the reasons why me playing Brian would go for him first. And But the other one I would go for Aurelius as well. That's They're kind of like level pegging 50-50. Because I know in the long run that Aurelius is the only one that's going to be able to hit him. So... It could be him first, and then I will just wait out and see what happens. But then you get the whole thing of everyone ganging up on Bruin because they can't hit him. <laughs> and trying to figure out an ingenious <laughs> way to scale the walls of the Colosseum to launch off to try and kill him or something.
0: I do think a big part of who comes out the victor is whether or not Bruin can fly. If he can, that puts everyone else at a huge disadvantage except for a rally.
1: Yeah, but you say that dude, but then, you know, he's got wall of he's got a wind ball which stops any projectiles coming through against him. So, he's always oh, got that as true. well. That's oh, true. No, that's like 10 rounds as well. <laughs> so, he'll be like oh, none of your arrows are going to do anything, <laughs> bro, and then he just breathes fire on him. <laughs> but I, th- I honestly think that I mean, but that's one of the reasons why I chose to play a druid, not just because it just, as a class, it completely matches up with me as a person. You know, like nature, you know, that's one of the things that I'm all about. And right. um, so that was an instant fit. But because druids are like one of the, I would say, me personally, I would say that a druid is the most versatile class as far as, you know, combat, healing, tanking, maneuverability, um, travel just just like everything like especially if you get into later levels they are just they're like a toolbox that you just reach into and you're like oh okay well you want to go to the other side of the world where we were like six months ago okay cool Well, we're just gonna step through this tree oh look there's that city that we were in you know it's it's ridiculous the stuff that they could do later on they can control the weather for like five miles around them (laughs) literally they could be like right i want a thunderstorm to destroy that city and i want just like lightning just all day for like an hour and that's what happens because that's how powerful they are so they have all of these amazing utility and spells damaging tank healing it's all in their kit but i think the only reason that that's so good for me is because that's because i'm a dm as well that's the way i think about the game So, if I was in a combat situation, I would use all of my knowledge as a DM and as a player to my advantage. And that includes getting behind cover to up my AC by five. Things that people either don't know about because they've never experienced it or they've never been told, but that's the sort of thing that I would be doing. So it would be giant eagle. Fly, attack someone, or just call lightning on their ass. Get around a corner. Plus five, would either you can't be seen, or you're in partial uh, partial cover, three quarters cover. That's plus five to your AC. Yeah, I can still see out, so I can still call lightning. And depending, I need to have a word with you about this off air, but I might as well do it now because of are talking. We're here. Um, in my um, in my druid spell cards that I've got, uh, there are things like lightning bolt and fireball. In there, but they're not in the players' handbook, and I'm assuming that's because later on, <clears throat> pay to win, different classes of druid or the druid spell list got expanded or something like that, because druids can now cast Fireball and Lightning Bolt, which are normally exclusively wizard or bard wizard spells. spells. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it depends. It depends what the DM hmm. says as hmm. well.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is you want to come to the pay-to-win side. Is that, is that what you're saying? You, no? you know,
0: I seem to think about like how sometimes you have a really great game, but then there's this extra DLC you can buy that expands the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the expanded content for Druids is pretty cool.
1: Unless it's The Witcher 3 and then it's all free.
0: <laughs> that's That's where we're... That's the goal. That's why I like the OSR so much, because so much of it is free.
1: What is OSR?
0: Old School Renaissance. So it's... They're games that are usually heavily based off of older D&D games, and then the rules are tweaked over time, it's different systems. Um, so like, Swords and Wizardry is an OSR game. Old School Essentials is an OSR game. And, there, I mean, there's hundreds of them. And... Pretty much everyone has a completely free version, and you only pay for it if you want, like, a physical box set or something.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
2: Yeah. So, very similar to kind of how Pathfinder is? Yes, very
0: similar. Except they're usually, uh... (laughs) The rules are much, much lighter.
2: (laughs) Gotcha. Uh, So, like, um, I remember playing, um... Was it GURPS?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, GURPS, like, isn't OSR, but it's definitely, like in the OSR community, like people know about it. Very cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so Brew would win. Uh, no one me... said anything. <laughs> I let thought I was going a... to get a laugh <laughs> or something, but nothing. Fucking crickets. <laughs> but well, that's
2: right. what I said too, so you knew I agreed with you.
1: Yeah, so we're a two to one vote. Brew would win. Uh,
2: uh,
0: <laughs> uh, Dan, could you please roll me a d20? Uh,
1: Really? Or can
0: I roll on your behalf?
1: No, nobody rolls on my behalf, bitch. <laughs> Hold on. All right, I'll get my DM dice out because that's the only one that's perfectly <laughs> weighted it's the only one that's perfectly weighted it sucks as well because I've got all my druid dice which are green they're green and black and then my other druid dice are white and gold Ooh, and I nice. have this one d20 which is the only d20 that I've ever used because sorry my mic was up Because it's the only d20 that I've ever found that is perfectly weighted. (laughs) All the others have been weighted a particular way. Right, here we go. Twelve.
0: Okay. So let me see here. Well, I rolled a 17, so uh, someone else in the party gets to go first. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, might might Bruin may or may not survive. Whatever. Uh, Hundred
1: and fifty six think... hit points with infinite healing. Go fuck yourself. If,
0: if I will say if Bruin gets to go early in the initiative, that's a big advantage for him. Don't forget it's uh, plus seven to initiative because he is alert. And you had what, twelve? Yeah. Which puts us both at 17. No, Sef- nope, oh, no, that, that would, would be 19. 19, so you would get to go first.
1: Maths hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. We're out of practice. <laughs> give, give Jake a break.
0: The three R's: reading, writing, and arithmetic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that was some great discussion. Uh, I really enjoyed talking about that with you guys. That was was fun, kind of figuring out who we think would actually win. In a just like balls to the wall fight.
1: Yeah, definitely, man. And uh, you know what? Actually, we do have a bonus question as well, which (gasps) is attached to this, um, which is: if brute force and ignorance were to do a face to face game, who would you fuck first?
0: (laughs) Ooh.
1: Ooh. No, No, I'm kidding. Don't answer that question. Anyway, Karen, then I I won't answer the question. No, don't, don't just end the show.
0: Lenny, thank you so much for writing in a great question, which, again, sparked so much fantastic discussion amongst us. Also, a big shout out to Mark, too, for his question. Uh, I had a lot of fun creating that character and then looking at how that other person had made it, which was even better than my initial idea. And uh, yeah, it was great talking with both of you guys here tonight. So, Dan, if someone else wanted to be super awesome like Mark or Lenny, how could they send a raven over to this tavern?
1: They can email us at BFIDND at hotmail.com. That's BFID A N D D at Hotmail.com, or very simply message us on the Facebook page brute force and ignorance at D D podcast, and we will read your comment or question on the show. Yes,
0: indeed we will. Well, Dan, thank you for joining me tonight.
2: And Jason, thank you for joining us as well. Oh, it's been a blast. Um it's great to get to talk to you guys about D D and uh just want to say that the entire reason why I'm DMing two games right now and playing games one is because after a 15 year hiatus of playing d d listening to Brute Force and Ignorance pulled me right back into it so just thank you guys for just uh, really uh, bringing me back into a, a game that uh, I, I really love to play
0: aww. well thank you for the kind words man I, I truly do appreciate that
1: aww get all emotional well, i broke character I rubbish i <laughs> <you. laughs> oh, do that's awesome thank you so much for saying that it's fucking uh, fantastic it's <sighs> well I, I haven't got anything snarky or fucking satirical to say so i think we should just end it on that lovely lovely bit of emotional content
0: i would say so the bartender's getting a little a little gruff with us anyway so I think that's about time we wrap up this session here at the fireside <laughs> cheers jason <laughs> cheers dan cheers jake cheers oh <laughs>